We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. I see your roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan over the past seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio today is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Good evening. And coughing in the background right there, we just heard ICRT Central Taiwan correspondent Donovan Smith. Uh, Donovan, glad to have you here. <laughs> Good to be on. And also joining us uh, all the way from Hong Kong, we have also on the phone uh, Ross Feingold of DC International Advisory. Ross, uh, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Today on the show... More snubs in the international arena as the slowdown in cross-strait ties continues. Uh, And that comes along with more international organizations closing their doors on Taiwan's delegations. Uh, We'll discuss the latest on that. Then, environmentalists and industrialists continue to square off in Zhanghua this week. The industrialists, well, they got dealt a pretty hefty blow. We're going to take a look at that as well. And we'll round out the show with a look at the growing movement opposing the government's use of eminent domain to clear the way for development projects. Uh, Stay tuned for that one. We'll have a leading campaigner on the phone to lay out their case. But first, Tuesday, we got number three in the one, two, three punch of Typhoon Havoc that Mother Nature has served up over the last couple of weeks. Uh, The first punch, of course, came in the form of Typhoon Maranti. That one was a, a little bit below the belt, mostly hitting the south. Then uh, we got Malakas. Uh, That one, the aim wasn't too good, just a kind of a glancing blow. This Tuesday, though, we got a direct hit uh, in the form of Typhoon Meggy right down the middle. Uh, It was no knockout. Taiwan is not down for the count. But, Gavin, it did leave a mark. It did leave a mark. It left seven people dead. 625 people injured. It resulted in agricultural losses of over 1.3 billion NT. So, you know, it did some damage. And apparently... At the height of the storm, 4.1 million households were without power. That is a lot of households. That's a lot of households, yeah. And, of course, it also had its controversy. The controversy being, of course, the typhoon holiday snafu, question, issue, whatever you want to call it, because it seems to rear its ugly head every time there's a typhoon. Well, in most of Taiwan, I guess we should call it a typhoon and a half holiday, a day and a half of typhoon holiday. Well, a half-day holiday or a full-day holiday, that is Mm -hmm. the question. There you go. Shakespeare couldn't have said that better. (laughs) Anyway, what happened is um, several mayors in the south, the two most prominent ones being Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Ju and Tainan Mayor William Lai, decided to call a half-day typhoon holiday on Tuesday, whereas most of the rest of the island had taken a whole day. So if you lived in Taipei, Tuesday was cancelled for you. If you lived in Kaohsiung, Tuesday was half cancelled for you. Mm-hmm. And I also believe Yunlin and Jai also called half-day holidays that day. This led to an issue because, of course, the school children all went to work in the morning and people went to their offices, and the storm came in a lot faster and a lot stronger than initial reports said it was going to do. Mm. So, of course, there was television footage in the news of children children leaving schools, being basically blown over by the strong winds. Mm-hmm. This obviously irked residents of both Tainan and Kaohsiung, who immediately took to the computer, took to the streets and took to just about everywhere, demanding that Chen Ju in Kaohsiung and William Lai in Tainan issue apologies for mm-hmm. only calling a half-day holiday and then explaining why they'd only mm-hmm. called a half-day holiday. Their answers was, according to Central Weather Bureau data, On Monday evening, Mm -hmm. the storm wasn't going to come across so quickly or as hard in their parts of Taiwan, so they only called half a day. Right. Needless to say, they were proven rather wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, this led to the 
a public petition, basically online, mm. I believe, and I believe it's the um, the National Development Council's website has a place where people can put petitions, basically. It's a very interesting spot. Everybody should visit that. Well, but... it's like websites. There's a website in England has one. You can call mm-hmm. a petition for the British government. In America, there's one. You can call mm-hmm. a petition on the American government and so on and so forth. And this one reached the threshold so this that it needs to be responded to. This one reached the threshold and it had the, there was a government response was called for, basically. Mm-hmm. And the government response well, was, the petition, well, we should start with that. The okay. petition was to get rid of these half-typhoon holidays. Right, basically right, Keith. The petition was to do away with half-day closures and simply, if there's a typhoon coming and there's going to be any closures at all, they should be basically all-day closures. Mm-hmm. I see nothing wrong with that. I'm totally in agreement. Why should you have to work half a day when you can have the whole day off? Well, and it'll really throw you off if, you know, your your, your kids have a half-day and holiday. It's That's just yeah. Well, it's also dangerous, and also it causes problems with parents. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, half a day it means that they've got to, if they're, if they're dropping off children before they go to work, right. and they're coming home and they're, they're leaving early, they've got to meet their kids. It makes everything crazy It makes everything crazy, basically. That's what the petition was calling for. Mm-hmm. And the government basically turned around and said, well, okay, um, we've heard the petition, we've listened to your views, and we're going to... Debate the issue with local authorities. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is well, only. Gavin, I mean, what, what alternative would you suggest there? That, that, that well, I suggest Ross, they take a whole well, day off, mate. Oh, but it's too late because people had already gone to work. In I know, and that's what happens. There you go. So it should be a whole day. Anyway, this has become. Of course, this is only one issue stemming from this. The other major issue of Typhoon Days stems from work hours, usually service sector employees who basically have to go to work because currently typhoon holidays are not covered by the Labour Standards Act. Hmm. So, needless to say, Typhoon Meggie reopened the Pandora's box of the typhoon holiday. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll give you a little bit of perspective sitting here in Hong Kong. What what happens when there's a, a storm that increases in intensity during the day, the authorities will actually pre-announce that they're going to officially close schools and offices. So an announcement will go out at 10.30 saying closure might be at 12 p.m. So it actually gives time for people to make arrangements. Uh, people don't seem to get as upset as people in Taiwan do over, over such a, a midday closure of schools and offices. Mm. All right. So that uh, that gives us a little bit of perspective on that particular controversy. Now, of course, the... oh, no, what about Donovan? Donovan. Well, I was just about to throw it to Donovan. Donovan. Donovan he's at ground zero of the whole he, thing. He was. It caused this typhoon. Maggie, of course, meandered through your neck of the woods, didn't it, Donovan? So how was your <laughs> how, how was your day off? Mm. <laughs> well, it was very destructive. Uh, I, I took a lot of damage, and uh, my neighborhood. This may be the one of the most destructive ones I've seen ever in this neighborhood. Um, it hit uh, a force 17 winds just over the hill in uh, Wuchi, and uh, they, they were clocking at just shy of 200 kilometers an hour. Um, so, and of course, most of the, the the biggest hardest hit areas for the power were here and Zhonghua. So, yeah, it was it was pretty heavy here, but we had the full day off uh, both days. All right, well, what do you think they should do, though? I mean, do you, do you agree with Ross? Do you think some early warning system should be in place where there's a warning about half-day possible closures? Or do you think, like me, they should just be closed all day anyway? Well, I, I, think, I think you know what Ross brings up is, is worth giving it some thought. Um, the question is whether or not there is enough lead time. That's the concern, I think. Mm. Um, you know, it is, and how do you make that determination? Um, so... I think it's worth looking at, definitely, Um, you know, because there have been a lot of cases, uh, particularly here in Taichung, where you get, they call a typhoon day and it's sunny out. Mm. Hey, that's good for the shops, though. That was Wednesday. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, so, you know, but, uh, but no, here it was still pretty bad, mm-hmm. um, you know, through Wednesday. Um, but, you know, there have been other typhoons that have come through, and the mayors have called, uh, called a typhoon day, and there has been, like, no effect at all. Like, it, you know, it veered north, veered south, the central mountain range protected us, and there was, there was nothing. So I, mm. I do think the little bit of flexibility is good. Of course, the issue with the difference between Taiwan and Hong Kong being that when Taiwan, Taiwan does it locally, Hong Kong does it nationally, if you can call it nationally. Mm. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Mayor Ke, actually, uh, he had an interesting thing to say about it. He was saying that the standards that we're using right now to call a typhoon holiday are just too limited because right now the Central Weather Bureau is mostly just looking at the speed of the wind. Uh, but he's saying that there are more factors that determine how destructive uh, a typhoon is going to be uh, and that we need to adopt uh, more scientific standards for calling a typhoon holiday. So maybe that's something that we'll be seeing in the future. Let's look to the other controversy of the day, this one concerning EVA Air. Oh, yeah, they landed their planes, didn't they? Much to the sort of anger of people sitting on those aeroplanes, I believe they landed seven of them in the typhoon. In the typhoon. In the typhoon. Like kind of earlier in the typhoon. Through the typhoon. God, I would not well, apparently, have... Apparently the, uh, the airline should be taking advice from America because America, is, is, in his expert opinion, says wind speed is not a sufficient determinant. So... You know, those other factors he's referring to, maybe the airline needs to take them into consideration as well. Well, I said that. They said they would review their flying policies in difficult weather conditions. Now, the thing that really... Isn't the, is it, but isn't the key thing here that the, air, the, the airport was open? So now we're, we're, we're shifting blame to the airline? No, no. The, well, the, 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 the airport air, have closed? Well, no, because the airport was open for certain flights that were leaving that weren't going to be affected by the typhoon. When you're flying out of a typhoon, of course, it's a bit different. They were flying into the typhoon. And their consideration. So, the airport open or closed to landings? That, that's that's what I'm I'm getting at. It if the co- airport was open to landings, and you can't blame the airline. Mm. Well, their consideration, what the, the airline statement said, is their con- main consideration was they didn't want their staff to be working more hours than you know they could legally work. Um, so it, it does. I mean, I, I, I obviously am no expert on aviation or, or how these regulations work, but it does seem a little troubling that a staffing and a compensation consideration was trumping a safety consideration. Well, we had China Airlines went on strike over that, didn't they? Mm. Of course, the same issue. Their staff were working more, and of course, China Ever Air went, oh no. We can't have our staff working more hours, so we'll go and have a bouncy flight back into Taoyuan International. Mm. And of course, a cup, one, I believe some of the flights actually landed in Taichung. This mm-hmm. is before the storm yeah. picked up in your neck of the woods down there, Donovan. And a couple of the flights landed in Taichung. What I found remarkable about this is that, I mean, you know, last year, of course, in what was it, July, when the Transasia flight went down uh, because of a typhoon, is what they, mm-hmm. you know, in the end, what they said. So it seems kind of foolhardy that they would do this. Let's round out our discussion on typhoons, kind of discussing some of the the best images that came out of it. Of course, one of the main images that came out of this thing was the flooding in Kaohsiung. That was really intense. Uh, I haven't seen something like that in a long time. But then there was another image that came out that's uh, actually gotten some international play, Gavin. Yes, this is Mrs. Dai. She became the face of Typhoon Maggie, thanks to the Associated Press's Ying Ying, or Zhang Ying Ying, to give her a full name. Mm-hmm. Photographer. Well, she, she was, of course, out snapping pictures for the typhoon in Taipei, and she ambled across a woman who was eating a bun and struggling with her umbrella amid powerful gusts of wind. Mm. Well, Ying Ying snapped the photo. 
and the woman quite obviously wasn't looking at her best. <laughs> One wouldn't do in that time of the morning, eating a bun in pouring rain with no umbrella. Well, she had an umbrella. Well, she had it, an umbrella, but she it was just tossed to pieces. Left. She basically had half an umbrella. That's about all that was left of it. Anyway, of course, the, the, this photograph was used by several newspapers. The Wall Street Journal, I believe, it was on the front page. And, well, of course, the Apple Daily, being the Apple Daily and doing what it does here in Taiwan, track down Mrs. Dai. That's what the reporters are for. And she's a fruit vendor at a local mm-hmm. wet market. Mm-hmm. Yes, and she basically said, well, you know, I wasn't caught at my best. One of the major questions that they had for her, though, was where did you get that pork bun? You were so committed to eating that pork bun despite the typhoon. Where was it from? A family mart. Ugh. Obviously, Ugh. family mart pork buns are the best eaten in a wind in a typhoon. I can tell you they are not. I can tell you they yeah, are I not. I mean, her, her look of determination, it's like, okay, fine, you can take my umbrella, but you're not getting my pork bun. But then she blamed her poor husband, though, because apparently her husband had bought her the pork bun. Mm. <laughs> And she said it's but all his fault. What I loved fault. about her quotes was that she said she wasn't at her finest, but sh- that she hoped that it would bring business. Mm. I'm sure it will. I mean, she could put the <laughs> she could put the picture up outside her market stand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It She'll would, probably get a fair bit of business. And then she could put because you know isn't, that isn't, isn't, isn't the better marketing approach to switch from fruit to selling pork buns. Not necessarily, because she she backs family mart pork buns. She, mm-hmm. she could do a deal with them. But she you know, could... you know, many of these market vendors here have these pictures like Ma Ying Joe ate here. We've been featured on TVBS as seen on blah blah channel. Mm-hmm. She can say as covered by the Associated Press. There we go. That's much better. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So there's a great. There was, of course, the story of the woman herself made the news. Of course. Mm. So while she made the news as the face of Typhoon Meggie. Her photo made the news. Mm-hmm. I think a and lot of people well, it those spoke those to. Those in the media know how dangerous that could be. Can be indeed. I can be indeed. But that, I think there's the photo great, just spoke great, to people on a but, certain level. Yeah, it did. And there's a great quote here. It says, "Even in the most uncomfortable of circumstances, it's hard to ignore the food right in front of your face." That's the take home. Yep. That, see this. This <laughs> is hopefully a, uh, this all won't go to her head, and she'll become a megalomaniac. <laughs> it's possible. But, it, but is there? But is there a more serious issue here, which is you know personal safety, not going out during typhoons, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. I mean, it's humorous, but it, it, it is dangerous. Well, of course it's dangerous, did. but unfortunately, Ross, some of us have to go to work in typhoons. <laughs> I do it every year. Mm-hmm. And she went to work. She, In fact, she went to her fruit stand, her vegetable stand right. at the market, and she, she didn't know it was going to be as bad as it was, and it turned into a nasty typhoon, and she said, well, I better go home early. So see, she was doing the right thing, just maybe a little bit too late. But she got a, she got a good story out of the whole thing. Um, all right. I think that uh, we've beat this dead horse enough, so we're going to move away from the typhoon. Luckily, there was another one uh, forming off the uh, several several thousand miles away in the Pacific, but it looks like it's going to head up north and uh, skip Taiwan entirely because uh, we all definitely don't want a fourth typhoon in three weeks. So uh, dodging the bullet there. This one is called Chaba, I believe. Chabas. Chabas. Something like that. It begins with a C. We're mm-hmm. all right. We're going to get. We're getting clobbered by the M's mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would have been a little bit of variety, but knock on wood, I think we're dodging that bullet. If we hear bullet. a typhoon, Magnus Magnuson is coming. We should worry. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be troubling. <laughs> Uh, but we're going to move on now to international politics. Uh, international politics, always, of course, a very rough sport. Uh, but the playing field seems to be getting less and less hospitable for Taiwan. Uh, this week, another Taiwanese delegation got turned away from another international body. 
Uh, this time around, it was the International Civil Aviation Organization. Uh, that is a U.N. group uh, that looks to set international aviation standards. Uh, well, they had a little summit this Tuesday. Uh, I believe it was over in Canada. Uh, but Taiwan's invitation, I guess, uh, was lost in the mail. Never came. Uh, widely believed that uh, pressure from China may be the reason for that delayed invitation, non-materializing invitation. I've got explicit quotes to that effect. Okay, so we can uh, establish that in just a second. Uh, but first, uh, Gavin, despite the lack of an invitation, uh, Taiwan still sent a delegation. Yeah, it did. It sent a delegation of officials from the Civil Aeronautics Administration, and they decided to go out in a boat in Montreal, <laughs> even though they weren't actually invited to the event. Yeah, well, so, you know, uh, hang out with their friends outside. Which I'm sure irked Beijing to an extreme amount. Mm, perhaps. I think that was the plan. I, I So do I. I. That was the plan, basically. Anyway, although they weren't allowed into the actual assembly itself, which is actually, it's more than a day. It's, it ran from, it's run, ran, started on September the 27th, and it actually finishes on October the 7th. Mm. It's not just a one-day so it, event. It's like ongoing. What, a 10-day event, basically, mm-hmm. yeah? You know, but anyway, they went there and they were going to, they talked to Taiwan friendly countries outside and on the sidelines of the event. And of mm. course, several did the Marshall Islands, El Salvador, and several other of Taiwan's allies actually stood up and held a, held a press right. conference actually on the sidelines of the event in Montreal and basically called for Taiwan to be allowed to participate in the meeting. Yeah, and even uh, even a State Department official came out, well, he was kind of prompted by uh, a U.S. lawmaker, but he made a statement to the effect of uh, that Washington values Taiwan's ability to participate in international affairs. So, I mean, that was he was prompted by questioning, but... I believe that was Ed Royce, the head of the Taiwan Congressional... Nope. Ross will correct me on this one, but I believe Ed Royce is the head of the Taiwan-U.S. Congressional Congress or something. Mm-hmm. He came out a couple of weeks ago and called for Taiwan to be allowed to participate in the ICAO. Am I right there, Ross? Yeah, uh, he, he's, he's head of uh, the Taiwan uh, Caucus and he's also a, a head of the Foreign Relations Committee. And he's been to Taiwan many times in the last few years and he's a very good friend of Taiwan. But, but I think we need to look at this a little more broadly. So these, these representatives from Taiwan went and were there on the sidelines, but what did they do when they were there? And I think that's that's sort of the responsibility they have to the Taiwan public, right? So we, uh, on the one hand, yes, we, we know that China is behind the invitation being uh, delayed on the plane, uh, but what did they do substantively on the sidelines? I mean, there's still good things they could do. Uh, did they share some wonderful information about what Taiwan does for civil aviation regionally or Taiwan's amazing civil, civil aviation safety, et cetera. Uh, and we haven't really heard that. Right? We it's just not enough to say we had people on the sidelines. But Sharing I, tips and tricks for flying through a typhoon? They, that actually, get, they actually get back. Well, <laughs> that, that's a bad timing coincidence, of course. <laughs> they actually come back to October the 1st. They're due to land back in Taiwan, I believe. Or they're set to leave Montreal on October the 1st. So I guess we'll be hearing about what they did when they get back. Right. Well, why aren't we hearing it day by day while they're there? Uh, who did they meet? Um, what presentations did they make about Taiwan's, uh, again, about, about how Taiwan regulates civil aviation, etc.? We haven't seen anything like that. But, uh, I mean, I, the point should be made, and actually uh, there was a little YouTube video that was put out by the government this week that was kind of making the point that uh, Taiwan is a hub for aviation. There's many, 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 many flights flying in and out of Taiwan every day. Uh, and to have Taiwan not privy to these conversations, uh, you know, putting politics aside for a second, that's just bad policy. 
Yeah, everyone agrees with that, but the point is, is the starting point is, is Taiwan's in a tough situation here. So it's just not enough to blame China, and it's not enough to stand outside the room. It, it almost like, it, it's almost like we're saying, had Taiwan been invited, they would have sat quietly in the room and not said anything. I've got some numbers for you there, Keith. In fact, right. according to the government here, the Taipei Flight Information Region, which is where we are sitting now, served 58 million passengers. Mm. And those 58 million passengers were on 1.53 million flights last year. Jeez, that's a, that's a couple of flights. Uh, okay, so another bit of news that came out this week, uh, broadening the discussion even a little bit further, is uh, that Taiwan likely will not be uh, invited to another meeting, Interpol. Well, uh, it's good for criminals, uh, but, but obviously it, it, it's a very analogous issue, right, that Taiwan is going to lack the connectivity that comes from participating in these organizations. And it comes at even worse timing for Taiwan, given the number of Taiwan nationals who've been arrested uh, outside of Taiwan, outside of China, but are being deported to China over accusations of committing telephone fraud and related crimes. So the, the timing, given recent events, is absolutely terrible for Taiwan not to be invited to Interpol meeting. Mm, I believe this is, and also this was this was Taiwan's. In fact, I believe the United States has been pushing for Taiwan's um, to be accepted to Interpol meetings for a longer time than it has from the international aviation meetings. I believe Congress has passed uh, a yeah, resolution yeah. on that. Mm. Um, now, I have, I've actually got some quotes here from China uh, on all of this. Um, it says here, and this is from uh, Xinhua, uh, prerequisite for Taiwan to participate in any international activity is adherence to the One China policy, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesman said last Friday. Um, now, he says, went on to say that Taiwan, is an in, as an inalienable part of China, has no right to participate in the ICAO assembly. Uh, on the same day, spokesman for Taiwan uh, State Council's Taiwan Affairs Office, Ma Xiaoguang, said that Taiwan cannot participate uh, because the island's current DPP administration refuses to recognize the 1992 consensus. Uh, and he went on to say um, that uh, the Taiwan Civil Aviation Authorities were invited to send staff as non-voting delegates to the ICAO Assembly's 38th session in 2013. But he said that was a special arrangement made through consultation against the backdrop of amicable development of cross-strait relations on the understanding of both adhere to the 92 consensus. Mm. Um, anyway, and they went on to blame Taiwan, you know, uh, for the whole thing. Well, that's no but great I think surprise, the is they it? they sent the delegation to, 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 to Canada, I don't think it has really much to do with the side meetings, frankly. Mm. Uh, I think the whole thing is essentially a publicity stunt to start building... Uh, coalitions around sympathy for Taiwan's exclusion and to try and goad China into into because of course Chinese officials have a tendency to overreact and say and do things which generates more sympathy for Taiwan which appears this time that China it, it, their their officials there didn't completely lose their minds mm. so you know but they they did they did make some headway with obviously the state department and you know some of their some of these smaller countries Hmm. Before we move on from this topic, uh, what I want to do is just kind of uh, get your guys' opinions, kind of check in on uh, the current state of uh, cross-strait affairs. Um, I, I think that this is kind of a, a, an interesting test case as those uh, cross-strait affairs remain somewhat frozen. Uh, actually, uh, just to add to the list of uh, troubles this week, we also had Minister of Justice uh, Cho Dai-sen uh, come out and say that the joint crime-fighting agreement between Taiwan and China 
is not being used. That kind of adds on to what Ross was saying there about the fighting of telecom fraud and all that. Apparently, uh, Taiwan and China are also not working working together well on that front. Well, that was questionable always because there are certain people in China and certain individuals in China who are wanted here but have never come back or never been sent back, regardless of who the government is. A fair point, a fair point. But nevertheless, it just kind of adds to the list. Uh, now, uh, Donovan, I remember that you were saying uh, before uh, Tsai Ing-wen came into office, you were kind of commenting on uh, her her maneuvering room for what she can do in terms of uh, her cross-strait policy. Uh, and you were saying something to the effect of, you know, China is going to make some noise if she doesn't uh, affirm the 1992 consensus. They're going to make some moves, but they're not going to press too hard because they don't want to alienate Taiwan's population. Do you feel like that's what we're seeing right now, a sort of measured steps from China that are pushing a little bit but won't be enough to cause real uh, pain? Well, I mean, I, I think more, more than that. I mean, that's sort of part of it, but they, they're pretty ham-fisted. <laughs> so, they, they, you know, they, they still seem to uh, be offending the local population. But they, the thing is, they've got a lot of business interests of their own. Now, I think the point I was, I was getting at, if I remember this correctly, was more to the point of, if they they can't completely disengage because their 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 goal right now is to get Taiwan more and more entangled, so if they start with China so that this leads to more and more pressure on Taiwan and more and more Taiwanese, uh, you know, dependent on uh, these connections with China. So if they completely disengage, then they're losing that ability to do so. But on the other hand, if they, they also have to look at their domestic audience, and of course, with Tsai Ing-wen now, you know, not not affirming the 92 consensus the way they do, now they've kind of, China's backed itself into a corner. So frankly, right now, I don't think they have much of a strategy. Uh, the reason I brought up this one article here on, on, you know, on the ICAO is that this is one clear line. Um, they're actually, uh, they're, when it comes to the, um, you know, the fraud deportations and stuff like that, that's all actually under international law and predates Tsai. That's not, that's not specific to uh, her election, uh, because they, those are criminals wanted in China for committing crimes and defrauding Chinese. Uh, and so that's, that's actually normal international practice. So really, and, and the thing is with the tourism, it's, it's a little bit unclear if the government is actually cutting down on the tourism or just simply that it's sort of Taiwan's become not flavor of the month for popularity reasons and for economy reasons. Mm. So that, the reason why I brought up this one thing is that it's one absolutely clear thing where they've, they've come out and said this, they've cut the, 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 um, the hotline, uh, and a few other concrete steps. But these are pretty sm- – this is all small change, really. Mm. Uh, Ross, would you agree with that, all small change so far? Uh, not necessarily, uh, although the response from China may be measured as far as their rhetoric. Uh, as we've discussed on, on previous programs, the, the risk, and actually now what's become the ra- reality, and this goes to what Justice Minister Chill was talking about, is we, we've now lost the government-to-government communication that – uh, had become the standard operating procedure in the last few years of President Ma's administration, whereas previously communication was through the proxy organizations on either side of the strait. And now we've lost that. And I, I think that's very unfortunate. I mean, it's unfortunate just for having dialogue, but it's also unfortunate because it, it means that practical agreements are not going to be negotiated and signed. 
And then there is a knock-on effect to on uh, a day-to-day level for people who need to travel or do business in China. I'm, I'm referring to Taiwanese people who need to travel and do business in China or, need, or are hoping that there be greater protection for investment, uh, etc. And now the outlook for these things, are it's bleak to, frankly, non-existent in the near term because the governments are not talking right now. Mm. My sense, though, is that the Thai administration is sort of counting on uh, China receiving the blame for this and uh, her administration, you know, kind of staying firm on a couple of things that they want to stay firm on. Well, of course, that depends what newspaper you read and who wrote well, the article to that opinion, doesn't it? For who's to blame? Right. And I think that she's counting on enough people kind of reading the uh, greener end of that spectrum. Uh, Russ, how, do, you, do you think that uh, some of these moves that China is making are, are actually moving public opinion on the Thai administration as uh, many international commentators are claiming, but I'm a little skeptical of that. Well, uh, China's moves in the near term are, are not going to cause President Tsai to suddenly make a speech saying she accepts the 1992 consensus. Uh, and if she digs in, as as you were just saying, then it might frankly help her get reelected uh, in 2020. Uh, but afterwards, who, you know, who knows? There, there, there might be eight years of frustration um, by the public at the lack of uh, progress and cross great ties and the the public might change its mind back to the reasons why they elected President Ma in 2008, who, who was running on a platform seeking accommodation. In, in a way, Thai can be patient and, and continue with this policy in the near term, or even near to medium term, taking her through a potential second term. Uh, China has the patience over the longer term, though. Uh, Donovan, closing thoughts. Uh, do you think that the move that China is taking uh, is actually going to apply pressure to the Thai administration? So far, what she's done is, is it's put it's giving her some headaches on the you know on the international thing with these uh, the international assemblies. But I, I think it's not going to be harming her much locally outside of pockets like bus you know tour bus drivers and Sun Moon Lake and Taipei 101 and, and a few a few specific industries and businesses. I think if she actually capitulated and turned around tomorrow and said she accepts it, it would hurt her a lot more domestically. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Mm. I, th- I think basically she's she's following the the the, the most popular path she can. Mm. All righty. All right, well, we are going to wrap it up right there for the first half because we are coming up on a break. When we return, uh, Jonghua County has declined to renew the operating permit for a coal plant, uh, and its operators are fuming. And we'll round out the broadcast with an extended discussion on housing rights in Taiwan. Uh, for those of you wondering what that big old protest on Sunday on Ketagalan Boulevard was all about, well, we'll fill you in on that. And for the podcast listeners, we'll take a look at a new report that finds life expectancy is up oh in God, Taiwan. Oh, God, going to live longer. So good news for those of us who, unlike Gavin, apparently enjoy life. Good news for those of us. Uh, of course, you can find those uh, bonus stories uh, in the podcast edition every week, so look for those there. Uh, all that and more when we return to Taiwan This Week. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around Taiwan. I'm Keith Monconi, joined by Gavin Phipps, Ross Feingold, and Donovan Smith. Kicking off the second half, uh, and we're heading down to central Taiwan to discuss an environmental controversy that came to a bit of a head this week. Gavin, we've kind of discussed this before on the show. We're talking about a coal-fired power plant run by uh, Formosa Chemicals and Fiber Corporation. 
Uh, and they're coming under a bit of fire f- uh, from the uh, local county regulators that say that they're releasing too much sulfur. Yeah, this is the Jianghua County government. It gave Formosa chemicals until September the 28th to basically deal with its bituminous coal-powered generators at its plant. Mm-hmm. Of course, September the 28th came and went, and September the 28th happened to be a typhoon holiday. Mm. So, in fact, the deadline was extended to September the 29th, being Thursday. And of course, Formosa Chemicals didn't do anything about fixing its sulphur content coming off its bituminous coal power generation units, and they got an order to close. Not close, but they won't get their generator um, licenses renewed. Basically, mm. that's what happened. All right, so that's what they're looking at right there, uh, and they are not happy about it, but uh, well, not entirely clear that they can do anything about it. Uh, this all falls under the purview of our central Taiwan correspondent. So, Donovan, uh, give us give us, uh, give us us a little bit of background on this, and then uh, move us up to uh, what we're seeing this week. Essentially, what, 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 what it boils down to is there was an agreement made in, I believe it was 1999. Uh, now, this is a 51-year-old uh, uh, big massive complex in Zhanghua and they produce like nylon and rayon and and it's the uh, it's a part of the Formosa Plastics Group and it's specifically the Formosa Chemicals and Fiber Corp. Now what they they have within this this massive complex that builds all these you know uh, artificial uh, what do do you call them synthetic fibers Um, they have three uh, generators or boilers in there that are coal-fired in in a coal-fired plant which powers the complex. So without this, the the whole complex is without power and they can't operate. Uh, now, what's at stake here is uh, is about a thousand direct jobs, uh, several hundred downstream jobs, and according to Formosa Plastics, because most of the employees are in their 50s and 60s at this plant, that there's roughly uh, 10,000 dependents uh, on these employees. So that's been their case. Um, the Jiangwa County government, now, this is where it gets interesting. There's a few interesting things about this. Now, according to the agreement made in 1999 or 2000, um, this, is a, this is when they got their, their license, and the Formosa, Chem- the, the, the Formosa Chemicals and Fiber Corp. agreed to uh, a whole series of uh, goals and targets that it would have to meet regarding uh, you know, emissions and pollution. Now, one of them is the sulfur content in the coal that they burn. And what happened is, just a few months ago, like out of the blue, all of a sudden it turns out it's 50% more than what's been allowed. Now, this suggests that the Zhanghua County government actually hadn't been testing it or had been ignoring it up until very, very recently. But the, the Zhanghua County government recently has been on a big push to crack down on air pollution because it's become a big popular issue, particularly PM 2.5. Now, this particular plan, this gave them a target, and the county government has already committed itself to phasing out all coal-fired power uh, in Zhanghua County over the next year or two. So this became a nice, juicy target for them. So it looks kind of like they, they came in and found something wrong, and said, okay, you're, you know, you're not living up to the agreement on this aspect, and so now if you can't rectify this, you're going to get shut down. And the, so for most of the plastics group said, look, we, first of all, you haven't given us enough, enough time. Uh, second is they can't get the kind of equipment 
in and the kind of clean cold they would need is just prohibitively expensive and hard to get. So they, they're crying foul and saying that the county government is just trying to shut them down. And repeatedly, uh, Wei Mingu, the county commissioner, said, uh, you know, we're going to follow the letter of the law on this one. The uh, Formosa Plastics Group punted to the, um, the EPA to see if they could get them to intervene. They punted it back and said, nope, Zhonghua County deals with it. Uh, same with, uh, you know, the Economics Bureau up in Taipei as well. They said, nah, we're going to let, uh, we're gonna let the Zhonghua County government so finally, they've run out of options, and so now they said they're going to wind down the power plants over about a week uh, because they, they say it's dangerous to just shut them down immediately, and they're going to try and find more jobs for uh, their employees. And uh, they're going to sue uh, the county government, and if, they're, if the uh, courts agree with them, they're going to sue for damages. Mm. So, so basically, just to get back to what happened this week, uh, this Thursday was uh, a, a deadline, and I, I believe the company uh, applied 37 times uh, yeah, over the past three months. Every time, including on Thursday. Yeah. Mm. What's interesting? <laughs> what's interesting though is that the, the Zhanghua County authorities have said the sulfur content in the bitumous coal used by the Formosa Chemicals and Fiber Corporation and its Zhanghua plants power generators was 1.2 percent higher than the 0.84 percent or 0.87 percent that the company had promised to maintain at that level. That's the interesting yes, part. That's, those are the numbers. They're the numbers basically. Mm. Yeah. That's, 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 but yeah. That's how close it is. So it's yeah. a sulfur <laughs> issue. Is the is the Which main is, issue? Yes, yeah, sulfur in the air issue. And, of course, the point is, why couldn't they install equipment to make these numbers go down? Hmm. But, of course, what Donovan hasn't said is the fact is it's not one of Formosa Chemicals' most money-making plants. It's, now, a, is losing, it? it's a money-losing. Now, this is another aspect that I find really kind of bizarre about this story. And this factory only makes up about 4.4% of their uh, overall revenue. So... Uh, and they're not planning to relocate the plant. So, but what's puzzling is why they put in so much effort at trying to save the plant, and you know the 37 submissions and all of this uh, when it's when it was money losing. I, th- I thought they would have you know used this as a good opportunity. So I, 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 there's a little bit of suspicion in here. There's something else going on, but I don't know exactly what. Mm. Uh, now, Donovan, we've actually been talking a lot about how some of these uh, local governments, uh, especially in central and, and southern Taiwan, seem to be kind of taking the environmental issues and the environmental costs uh, a little bit more seriously than the national government is. Uh, and we actually we see a little bit of a standoff sometimes between the EPA and uh, these local county heads. Would you lump this drama in with that kind of uh, progression or, or is this something separate? Uh, well, it's definitely part of it. Um, the uh, the Yunlin County government uh, passed a law which was shot down uh, under uh, under the Ma administration uh, that would have uh, would have banned uh, coal fired power plants, and that was specifically everyone knew that it was basically tar- targeting the six naphtha cracker at Mailiao. Um because right now, central Taiwan now has the worst air quality uh, in Taiwan, and it used to be the, the, the Gaoping, the Gaoshan Pingdong area, but now it's here. Um, and they signed a pact, Yunlin, Zhanghua, and, um, and Taichung, to, to try and ban coal-fired plants. Now, the uh, Zhanghua has said they're going to ban it over two years. 
Now, because Taichung has the massive, the world's largest coal-fired power plant down in the Taichung Harbor, they can't shut that down immediately. I mean, that thing's the biggest in the world and powers way too much. So uh, the, local, the city government here has passed a law which is now currently under review uh, by the national EPA um, that, that commits the, the biggest uh, emitters like Ta- the Taichung Power Plant and Dragon Steel uh, to 10% reduction in emissions per year phasing it all out in 10 years. Now, uh, the question is whether or not, whether the EPA uh, is going to shoot it down, saying like in the Yunling case, they shut, they shut them down saying, it's not your jurisdiction, sorry. But the Taichung County government has uh, approached it in a different direction, and they're still hopeful, and this may be a more friendly administration to, the local, to a local DPP government. But on the other hand, Thai Power and Dragon Steel, which is a subsidiary of China Steel, these are state-owned corporations. So it's local governments pitted against state-owned corporations with central government in the middle. Mm. All right, and on to our final story for the broadcast here. We're going to be talking about uh, what's being called the expropriation of land uh, by uh, especially local governments. Uh, last Sunday, we saw a, a fairly large protest that uh, took the issue to Taipei Capital itself. Uh, and uh, about uh, more than a thousand protesters showed up to kind of uh, come out in force saying that this is an issue that is not getting enough attention uh, from the Thai administration. Gavin, what, 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 what did that protest look like on Sunday? Yes, yeah, several thousand people um, paraded outside the presidential building on Katagalan Boulevard. And of course, while they, they, were, they weren't protesting a central government issue per se, they were protesting local issues, mm-hmm. land expropriation by local governments with the backing of the central government. All course. across Taiwan, All these across issues Taiwan. are cropping up. Tainan, of course, Miao Li. One of the famous ones was, of course, in Miao Li. Mm-hmm. This was the Jung's Pharmacy, which was knocked down for an industrial complex, and then the owner of the pharmacy was found dead mm-hmm. several weeks later. Later, and the Jung's pharmacy has become sort of the cause celeb for right. the anti-land expropriation groups, mm-hmm. yeah. who basically are saying, you know, it's it's great. We obviously we obviously Taiwan needs to develop, but you know, you can't be knocking down people's houses and not fully compensating them or explaining why you're knocking down their houses. And can you? Are they? They want more transparency in the way the government deals with the land expropriation deals. All right. So going back to Sunday, uh, what we saw there was uh, many groups from around Taiwan showing up. Uh, about sixty groups, I, I believe. So it was a really uh, diverse. Uh, maybe you know. Maybe you not, might not be impressed by a thousand, two thousand people. It's not that many. Uh, but we really did see the convergence of people from all across Taiwan. So this is uh, this is an issue that kind of brings together a whole bunch of different diverse groups uh, from many parts of Taiwan. And uh, to get a better feel for it, I actually spoke to uh, one of the organizers of the event, uh, Ian Lin. He is a campaigner for housing rights from Taiwan Association for Human Rights. He's also a member of the executive committee of Taiwan Alliance of uh, Anti-Forced Eviction. So he's right in the thick of this issue. Uh, Gavin and I spoke to him earlier this week. And uh, to start out this conversation, uh, Ian told us that really the basic issue uh, goes down to housing rights. It's a kind of basic rights that people should have because uh, they will have the right to have a, have a roof, living on the roof, and have the right to live there peacefully, and have the right to live there uh, with dignity. And that's very important because many people who are being evicted, they, do not, they, they think that the government treat them 
with uh, treated unfairly, but they do not know they have the rights to claim that they have the right to housing. So housing rights is very important, and it is also written in the law uh, after 2009 because we have we have incorporated the, the uh, covenants of the United Nations into our law system. So actually, housing rights is reading our law. So the government should be very attentive to that and try to amend the law that uh, violating uh, these rights. Yeah. So that's what we have to talk to the mass that well. We are not really asking that the government cannot do any developmental project, but you have to do so、uh, with strong reasons and for compensations. Right, and picking up on that development point that you brought up a second ago, this is all really a, a double-edged sword. You know, a, a lot of these projects that we're talking about have real benefits to them. There's an underground train line in Tainan. There's、uh, drainage projects. A lot of these, I mean, you can see、uh, why the government might think that they're necessary. Uh, so, if you could、uh, lay out for us in in broad terms,、uh, in your eyes, why do you see this as being problematic? Where's the problem here? So, in the case you've mentioned about that, well, the government has some kind of a mental project, and they offer some money for to to the residents, right? And、uh, in this kind, we usually call it、uh, expropriation. And in terms of of expropriation, usually the government have not usually actually. Legally speaking, they have to have the government have to provide very strong public interest because they are offending people's property rights and housing rights. So they have to have very strong reasons to take your land. But、uh, in Taiwan, generally, they do not really have、uh, such kind of strong reasons. They they just want to do that because they have do, been doing this for over sixty years. So、uh, recently, there have been more and more protests because people think that well,、uh, today is not 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 the old days. We should have more rights、uh, about our housing, about our family. So, actually,、uh, usually the government, the money government provides to the residents are not enough for them to find、uh, alternative housing nearby where they live now. So there are many problems in the the of the whole operation of the government, but they could just、uh, use the media to tell the to tell the mass that well we we've done everything we can do uh, we've uh, take care of the residents, but most of them are not really true. So I mean, just to be blunt, would you be accusing some of these local governments of corruption, or or are there other issues at play here? Not necessarily cor- corruption, because but sometimes there are corruption, like、uh, like the very famous. Very famous case of Dapu、uh, three years ago, and many of us believe that there are some corruption、uh, there. But not every case have to have the problem of corruption. But、uh, it's a problem of, of the way the government doing things that they could so easily taking people's land, taking people's property、uh, without giving due reasons. So yeah, that's the point. Why so many、uh, forced eviction are not really proper because the government simply do what they want and they think、uh, the compensation would be enough, but they are not. So obviously, as we discussed,、uh, there's just many, many cases of this across Taiwan. Many controversial development projects. Uh, so to help out anybody who's might be new to this issue and 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 to make it you know more concrete, could you point、uh, our attention to maybe one example of a development project that has some of the issues that you're talking about here? I guess one of the most、uh, 
because you are saying there's some someone new to this issue, so I might mention that the case about Dapu, right? Okay, uh, it's a case that happened three years ago. Uh, I mean, the eviction happened three years ago, but the court uh, they announced that the government's uh, doing was was uh, illegal. So nowadays, uh, the government is saying that they have to rebuild the houses and return it to the residents. And that's a very typical typical case because the reason why the court says that the development project is illegal is because that there is no due legal process and, and there's no no reason strong enough to uh, allow allow the government to use expropriation. So that is one case that very that worth studying for for perhaps for many years because uh, if the government successfully uh, rebuild the house, means it perhaps it symbolizes that well the government have real, uh, noticed some problems in that institution. But uh, what, what one of our one of the reasons that we are protesting uh, last Sunday is that well the government doesn't seem really to have a schedule of rebuilding the house. We are not sure whether uh, the government really wants to do to do that. Whether he really wants uh, to admit his failure. Uh, in the past, yeah. Well, of course, to play the devil's advocate, of course, these people, it has been argued by certain people that the people whose houses are being repropriated or expropriated or taken away, of course, they are getting new homes, they're getting money, and they're getting compensation. So, I mean, what is the issue? There are many possibilities. Well, first, there might be one possibility that the money is not enough, and not enough for the resident to come back to this, exactly to this, to this place. There are many complicated reasons, like uh, and like uh, one resident might be uh, doing uh, farming in a land, and after expropriation, the land will turn to a uh, land that could construct houses but could not be used to farm. Used to farm, so actually, for this resident, he has money, but he has no. Uh, he loses all his ways of living. He cannot. Uh, he, he has to find other places to farm, but that might that not, might not be very easy. And so, in some cases, there are problems of that money is not enough to 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 buy a new house. Some other there are problems that uh, the the resident will lose his way of living. And in some more others, there are uh, reasons that uh, it's more emotional, like like that. Well, uh, this might be a house that uh, leave to him. Or her uh, for like uh, four or five generations. That might be a houses that they pretend for more than fifty or sixty years. So they have uh, strong adherence to that place. And, and some other some other reasons are simply that well, uh, the residents simply do not want to move because they are really accustomed to the place. Uh, they have very good. Uh, get used to the surroundings, so they do not want to change. So uh, all of them are should be considered by the government. So uh, the only reason that the government can't change that is that they it have very strong reasons to change that. But nowadays, in many projects, the government simply do not have strong reasons. Mm. And uh, could you tell us about uh, your demands? What, what demands did you put forward on Sunday? Uh, simply speaking, you can say that we ask government to strengthen its uh, to, um, to amend the law 
uh, to strengthen the demand about the reason of uh, about the necessity of your taking people's property or uh, offending their rights to housing. Now you have to have strong reasons. You have to have strong reasons, and it is necessary to offend people's rights. And that's that's very basic reason under the uh, under uh, under the law of expropriation, under the law of urban renewal, uh, under all those kind of ex institutions that you should have at first uh, strong reasons. And the second one we ask is about that government should have uh, should have public hearings. That because nowadays they have public hearings, but uh, in those hearings, the government simply uh, make statement about their projects and do not actually accept any opinion from the people. They simply do what they, whatever they want, and they would do. They will make changes sometimes, but only if they see it fit. They will not really discuss with the people. So the second, the second demand we ask for the government is that they have to have really hear the sound of the people. And the third, the third is that uh, the demand. We demand that the government should rebuild the house. Uh, in, in, in the case I mentioned about the DAPU, uh, they have to rebuild the house and return it to the residents. And of course, the protesters who are protesting the land expropriation laws are actually going after the central government. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, uh, the protest was on Katagalan Boulevard. It was uh, very clearly directed uh, at the Thai administration. Uh, and she did, uh, the Thai administration did, we should say, uh, actually give a response they promised to reconstruct that house that you were talking about. Uh, they also uh, pledged to work with housing experts uh, in a number of ways uh, in the future. And they also uh, pledged to do a better job of laying out the justification for these evictions uh, in the future. So clearly, uh, your group is still not entirely satisfied with that response. So if you could uh, just lay out why that is. Tying uh, she indeed, she mentioned that... Uh she admit that housing rights is one basic right, right? She, uh, it is what their responding says. But she did not really say that uh, they will, uh, the, the new government will try to amend the law and in the way that, we, that I just mentioned, that they will try to amend the law to enhance the uh, regulation on public interest that the government should can can force people to leave only under very special circumstances. Uh, the government do not really do this. Uh, the government just simply saying that, well, I've heard you, I uh, know that you're, there are some problems about this issue, but they, but they do not really uh, think seriously about how to change it. So that's why we are not really satisfied with that because it is, it is a, it is a technique that the government so so many times used uh, to to respond to uh, social active social activists. All right, and uh, wrapping that one up right there, and moving on to our bonus podcast story. Uh, this week is uh, we've got a little piece of good news for most of us. Uh, you know, life loving humans. Gavin sounds like. He may not be a big fan, though, but uh, lay it on us nonetheless. It just goes on, doesn't it? Eh? It goes on and on and on and on. I'm talking about life expectancy, though. Mm. Because apparently life expectancy here in Taiwan reached a record high of 80.2 years in 2015. And that was up from 79.84 years in 2014. Mm. 2015 actually dipped a little bit. 
So that's why they're probably looking at those two. Probably, yeah. Now, according to the Ministry of the Interior, in 2015, the life expectancy of Taiwanese males averaged 77.01 years, while that of females reached 83.62 years. Mm. Both of those figures were apparently record highs, according to the government. Mm-hmm. Now, the data predicted that 81% of males and 92% of females will live now past the age of 65. Mm-hmm. Half of the males will live longer than 80 years, while half of the females will live longer than 85 years. Those are good odds. You, go, you flip eh? a coin, you get heads, you, you live past 80. That's not bad. Now, apparently, they, they broke this down. This is obviously generalising somewhat. If the figures are compared with those of the United States and major European countries, they show that the life expectancy for Taiwanese men is closest to that of American and German men, mm. but lower than other advanced European countries. Now, the average lifespan for Taiwanese women, meanwhile, is three years higher than that of American women and close to that of Canadian, British, German and French women. Mm. Compared to other neighbouring Asian countries, the life expectancy of Taiwanese is lower than in Japan, South Korea and Singapore, but higher than in Malaysia, China and the Philippines. And you know where you live longest if you come from Taiwan and live here? You live longest if you live in Taipei. Now, that's interesting. I think some people Not would... necessarily, because we don't all whatever them chemicals, do we? Like he does down in Taichung with the chemical plants. <laughs> Excuse me? I'm sorry? Mm. So, uh, try to, I, try I, to... lo- I lost a few years off my life expectancy listening to Gavin give that very long uh, explanation of the facts. This is how we're <laughs> that spending... Was, that was my point, Ross. Mm. Hey, I used to live in Herme, where all the electroplating factories dumped the uh, chemical, uh, the chemicals into the uh, irrigation, uh, into the farmers' fields, and they still do. So you just built up an immunity to it. It just made you stronger, I'm sure. That is, yeah, I'm just full of heavy metals, man. It's pee glows as well, apparently. Yeah, he can, he can pee. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to turn the lights on in his bathroom. Of the of the four <laughs> yeah. of us, I'm sure Donovan is the most likely to get superpowers. So you have that going for you. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting issue. I actually looked, uh, did a little bit of digging on this, and it turns out that uh, Taiwan started collecting these sorts of uh, statistics back in the 1920s. And if we look back then, the life expectancy in Taiwan was just over 40 years. So in under 100 years, the life expectancy in Taiwan has doubled, uh, which is, you know, not bad. That's not bad at all. All right. Well, uh, nevertheless, all of us in Taiwan, we are on track to get old together. Such a lovely thought. Such a lovely thought. But we are going to have to cut the show right there. Please do join us again next time. Taiwan This Week broadcasts every Friday evening during the 8 p.m. hour right here on ICRT FM 100. Look for that uh, right around 8.15 on Friday evenings. You can also find an extended version of the show online at the ICRT website, uh, on iTunes, and wherever fine podcasts are purveyed. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith Manconi, joined by Gavin Phipps. Good night. Uh, And by phone, Ross Feingold. Good night. And also by phone, Donovan Smith. Thank you, Donovan. Have a great evening. With glowing pee. Presumably. (laughs) Presumably. I can't uh, confirm that. Thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.